The family of a local teenager says she never would have left home without calling. It's praying for the best. I want my daughter home, man. And if she can't come home, I just want to know where she's at. These posters around the towns of Livermore and Jay beg anyone with information to come forward. Posters that Richard puts up every spring, never losing hope. Tell me what happened to my daughter. Justice wasn't in the eyes so I could see her. An arrest in a nearly four-decade-old cold case thanks to cutting-edge DNA technology. The arrest happening exactly 39 years to the day when Parabon Nanolabs used that sample to create 3D models of the suspected killer's face. It's heartbreaking. We miss her and we're going to find her. We're going to keep looking until we do. It's like a never-ending nightmare. It doesn't end. It keeps returning and coming back. What if the missing we so desperately search for are found? And what if they had no idea they were missing or who they even were? Tonight, we speak to Julie Berry, who met such a man and took him into her home. A man with no history, Julie's search after his death brings forth his family, who had desperately been searching for him for years. Who is Edgar Villarreal? Okay, um, well, I mean, I'm Jewel. Like, I've, I've lived in North Georgia most of my life. I grew up just north of Atlanta. Um, I grew up in Canton, which is just just a little outside of where I found Edgar in Ballground actually um, my husband and I moved to Ballground I think in 06 and our house burned down in 09 oh wow that's oh. actually my little like timeline between like we lived there we were living in a camper and and I think it was about three weeks three or four weeks later that I found Edgar wandering in the parking lot across the street. Like my best friend and I, like we stopped in to get some drinks and I mean, I'd seen him there before. Like I'd noticed that he was there, but, but that day, like he, he was shaking so bad. Like it was just unbelievable. His whole body was just, and and he was standing there looking around like a lost puppy. Oh my gosh! Like, and I called my friend. I said, "There's something wrong with him. He's not okay." And I walked over and and I asked him. You know, I introduced myself and I said, "Can you tell me your name?" And he just looked at me and he's just. And um, okay. Uh, do you know where you are? Do you know the day? And he's just... So we loaded him up in the or in the car and we took him to the emergency room. I brought this man in. I told him, I said, I don't know who he is. I don't know what his wow. name is. I have no idea what's wrong with him. Like, all I know is, is that he's not okay and I want him to be. Right. So, so we sat there, like I stayed with him pretty much the whole time. They were, they were going to keep him on a mental, like, hold or whatever. Like, we eventually got his name out of him. He could write it, but he couldn't say it. Like, like, whatever. They said that he had had a heat stroke at that point. So what name did he give you then? 
Um, at the at that point, we had a we had the E, the D, and a G, is what he started to write, and and then he started to do his last name, and we actually thought that he was like getting that wrong too, because it was V I L L A R R E, and it just like he got to all these extra R's and he got a hiccup. He's like R R. R R. Oh wow! So, so for a while, like we thought his name was Ed Gaviller or something. Like I thought it was Ed. <laughs> um, but but they they were going to you know they, like I said, they were going to keep him. I talked them into letting him come home with me instead. But um. We brought him home, or I brought him back over to his little couch teepee, and um, like the first couple of days, like like I said, like he was just sort of out of it, and and after after the first couple of days, he finally started kind of coming to, mm-hmm. and I figured out that part of the reason we couldn't figure each other out was because he didn't speak English. <laughs> Like I don't speak Spanish. He doesn't. He doesn't speak English, and so we're sitting here. I'm asking him questions that he doesn't. You know, like yeah. I, I might as well have been asking him something in German. Like right. he had no idea what I wanted him to say. No. Right. Now, uh, was he? What time? Of, time of year was this? Was this the middle of summer? Oh Lord! It was. It was dead in the middle of July, maybe okay. August. It was middle of the summer and I mean I remember it because the man that he was living like I can't say he was living with it was the man who owned the store that he lived behind okay his name was Andy um, Singh Um, there were some Indian people from um, but they owned that store and it always aggravated me because he literally treated his dog better than he did Edgar. Like Edgar oh. got rusty faucet water from the hose while his dog Lucy drank bottled water. Wow. And that had went on like I found out later that this had been going on for months like all the way through the winter in North Georgia. Like it's it's not as cold as it is up north. But but we get some pretty cold nights in the mountains. And yeah, and I, I was down in Georgia living, during a, a winter time, and it's still there, still frost can develop without a problem down there. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, and this man was staying like I sent you the picture of his shed. Yeah, like that was the closest to a shelter he had, and and I found out that Andy had brought him home to stay down in the basement. Until he had visitors over. So then Edgar got to stay outside on the porch while his dog laid under the under the table begging for food and stuff. Like I, I found out like these people had been treating him worse than their dog for close to a year. Wow. And and that's when I made up my mind. Like I, I didn't care who he was. I didn't care where he came from. Like everybody deserves better than that yeah absolutely Jeez. You know, right. and that says a lot about you because i think so oftentimes in society 
we see people like that and we just walk by, you know, and, and you took the time to stop and find out if he was okay. And in fact, brought him to the hospital. So it says a tremendous amount about you as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say so. Like, like I get that a lot. And, and honestly, like, I kind of wish I didn't because, because the truth of the matter is, is I was lucky I found him that day. Everybody says he was lucky he found me, but I was lucky that I met him that day. I had no idea, like no idea that this person was going to come in and literally change everything about who I am, what I am, what I think of humanity. <laughs> like he taught me so much that... Oh. I don't think anybody ever gets to learn. That's amazing. You know, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where was I? Um, so, yeah, like that, that's kind of how we met. Like, like I found out that, that things were just not what I thought they were. But have you ever tried to tame a feral cat? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I haven't. Neither had I. Like, neither had I. And and I think maybe it would have been easier to tame the cat. Like, it it took me every bit of, of a year and a half to get him to where he would... I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what the word was. What Like, how to say it. Like, in, every time he was around people, he had this very, like, a mask, you know? Right. Like, like he had this, this, this very, very friendly and charismatic and, and funny and, and polite, but, but it was all just, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. If it can I help you, ma'am? Here, let me get this, ma'am. Yeah. Like that. That was all you got from Edgar. Mm -hmm. Um. Like nobody around there even knew his name. Like I said, like they all called him Gizmo because they, one of the hillbillies decided that he was Gizmo. <laughs> the girls at the Huddle House called him Jalapeno. <laughs> Because he always carried a jalapeno in his pocket. Wow. That was his, he had a teeny little garden behind his couch teepee that he grew his jalapenos in. And wherever he went, like if you bought him a cheeseburger or anything else, he had to have his jalapenos with it. And if you didn't have them, it's okay, because I got one. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, what a character. So he was Mr. Jalapeno. Um, so, um, but, did, did Edgar ever talk about his family at all with you? Not, not then. Like, he didn't tell me anything about his family. He told me that he was born in Houston. And, and that, um, that he, he had told me that he was born in Houston and that he had a son. And, and he didn't know where his son was. His son was with his wife, but he didn't know where. And I'm, okay, you know, I mean, it makes sense, like, somebody like that, like, there's a million reasons, like, he would have had a family and not anymore. 
so I didn't really like ask a lot of questions about it. Like, like you can no. tell anytime that, that you started digging, he would get really confused. Did he ever tell you, start... oh, I'm sorry. Did Go he ever ahead. tell you how old he was or did you know how old he was just to give us a perspective? Um, his birthday was February 22nd, 1955. All right. That party remembered. That party remembered. It, it was like clockwork. Two, 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 five, five. Um, we found out after the fact, after I, he passed away, I actually found out that the whole born in Houston thing, like, like he wasn't born in Houston. And, and as far as I can tell, he didn't even grow up in Houston. But he, like I said, like he could spit out his birthday, like, like it was like embedded two, 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 five, five. Yep. I found out after the fact, though, that that he was actually adopted. So, so the fact that his birthday was two twenty two five five might not be as accurate as he believed it to be. In fact, most of of his information about his mother and his father and most of his family, I think I found out more of the truth about that than he may have known, even when he was there. Like, I don't think he knew he had been adopted. Oh. You're like, telling I me... I found that out. Yeah, you're telling mm -hmm. me his sister grew up thinking that they were cousins, right? Right, right. Like, he, he was adopted by his biological mother's older sister. Like... The only thing his nephew told me was was that she was too young to take care of him. Uh, so her older sister took her or took him. And and so the sisters, I think the grandmother let's see, it was those two sisters, another sister, and I believe the grandmother all lived together in one familial kind of like I think there were two houses that lived next door to each other. Mm -hmm. At least, I believe. Like, his family, his nephew said that, that he was eventually going to, like, set me up a family tree so I can try to keep it straight. Like, if I thought Edgar's, like, mystery was confusing, his family is just... <laughs> like, I... Yeah, you, you had... It's a lot to untangle. You had told me a bunch of different names and I had a hard time following it myself, so... Um, so the whole point of us even talking to you tonight is because you didn't know who Edgar was and I don't even know if he really knew who he was. Do you think that he purposely was hiding that or did he really not know his background? I think it might've been a little bit of both. I think at first maybe he, he wanted to go off grid. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, when he disappeared from his family, like, there has to be, there is something there. Like, I, I still believe if I can find this mystery white lady, then I will figure out what happened. But, but he, he gave his family a phone call and, and he told them that, that he was in a place that wasn't a prison, but he couldn't leave. 
And he said that that was okay, though, because he tre they treated him well there. Now, when did he make this phone call? Um, his uncle, like, or his nephew said that he believes it was some time around 1989. And when was the last time his family had actually seen him? Um, 85, I think, was when he went back with the same mystery white lady for an uncle's funeral. Like, the family thinks that she was German. They don't know her name. Um, supposedly, like, he was supposed to be gun or he was supposed to be marrying her. And they thought that him and her had two children together at some point after he disappeared. But he went down there for the funeral. And him and his new lady left for Texas again. <clears throat> and, like like they he continued to send phone calls and letters from 85 to somewhere around 89 when they got that phone call and then they literally never heard anything else from him again wow. until his nephew found edgar's poster and that's something that you had created correct um a friend of mine um i started off in a missing persons group like, I sort of approached them the same way I did you. I told him, it's like, if you're into missing persons, I have one, but in reverse. Right. <laughs> like, He's found, found but... Person. Yeah. Go ahead. Not sure where he where he belongs, right? Right. Yeah. Put, put the like, puzzle together. I know. Like, the man that I knew, somebody has to miss him. Like, like I said, he's smart and he's funny and he's literally the kindest soul I've ever met. There's no way that this person disappeared and nobody ever missed him. I refuse did, to believe did, it. <laughs> did he ever put any like effort into finding out himself? Like, or like, I guess I'm confused as to why. Uh, he hasn't been giving you more information, I guess, about uh, about his family well, and stuff. Uh, well, a lot of that is is like I said, like his his memories of of any of that stuff would would come in in these little like storms. Like sometimes okay. he could go on for a couple of days about one thing. I remember one time he wrote the same letter like five times and he asked me to like, you know, he needed an envelope and a stamp that he wanted to send it to Houston to his son. So, okay. Okay. We can do that. <laughs> I got him a letter, you know, I got him an envelope and I got him some stamps and, and he wrote it out and, and I found like six copies of that same letter in, in the notebook and he had, part of an address written down oh wow like it had like it had the houston and and i think his zip code and it had his son's name it said just it just said noah it didn't even have his last name on it just noah so like he he would want to and you could see like in that moment he would remember that he wanted to but then he would get so lost in it and and it would just you know i mean it took me like five years to get him sober enough that that even that part happened hmm. like right. for the first 
five years, like, like he honestly didn't remember anything. Like, he could tell me he was born in Houston. That was pretty much what I knew. <laughs> right. That's, and, and sometimes he would tell me about working with the horses. Like, his, it seemed like the further back he went, the more hazy those memories became. Mm-hmm. It was a lot easier for him to tell you about working in Lexington sometime in the 90s than it was anything that happened to him and his wife say in the mm-hmm. 70s weird did, but did he ever it, uh, go ahead did he ever express interest in finding his family um besides like like i said like he he would sometimes talk about writing a letter he he asked me to use the phone a couple of times he asked me if he could call mexico <laughs> Do you know if the family were, were actively looking for him? Um, as far as I know, Renee, that's his nephew, was actually the first one in the family. There were two people who started looking at almost the same time, separate of each other. There was his sister cousin, Tara. And his nephew from the other side of the family, which was Renee. And Renee said that, that he had just, he had been watching Unsolved Mysteries or something like that. And, and he had just gotten to thinking about this little family question that they had. Like he said, like to him, Uncle Edgardo was just the picture that hung on his grandmother's wall. Like now, he, how old is he, Renee? Um, about my age, like thirty six, six, thirty seven ish. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Edgar disappeared when when he was really really young, and and it was just like you said, you know, it was just the picture that hung on Grandma's wall, and then when Edgar's bio mother passed away, his sister cousin like. She told me that she had sort of suspected, like, I don't know why, but she said that she had suspected for a while that that might be the case. So when her mom died, like, she confronted Rosa, the adopted mother, about it, and she admitted to the whole thing. So that's when she started looking for Edgar. Mm. Now, I'm not really sure exactly where she found it from. Like, I think maybe she found it in one of the missing persons in Mexico groups that that my friend Barbara, who had made the poster in the first place, she posted it in all 50 states, like any missing persons group for all 50 states, um, four or five big cities around North Mexico, there were a few others that that she did that she thought might get a hit. I think one of them was for immigrant workers. Mm-hmm. But but through all of those, like his sister cousin found me. Um, I got an email from her, and then within 24 hours, I got another email from his nephew, who had no idea that Tara had even been looking. Talk about but coincidences, that, right? Like, he said he had been watching the whole Unsolved Mysteries thing, 
and and it just clicked that maybe he should go looking for Edgar. So he went on. Um, I think he said he used Namus. I think. Yeah. And he said, and he pulled it up. Like the first thing that came up, he typed in Edgar um, Izaguera, and the very first picture he saw was was Edgar's poster. Like he said, you know, thirty-year-old mystery solved in half an hour. <laughs> yeah, crazy. So, was Edgar still alive when, when they tracked him down? No, no. I, I feel so bad about that. I really do. It, it never crossed my mind to do the like go into the missing persons. That never crossed my mind until after he died. Yeah. Like, it totally just hit me all at once. Like, like I should try to do it this way. And I felt stupid then because I should have tried to do it that way years ago. Right. Yeah. Right. What, uh, how did, how did Edgar pass away? Um, he lost, um, it was his second battle to cancer in about a year. Oh, mm. um, sorry. You cut out there. What was that? Um, he, he, uh, he lost his battle to cancer. Like it was actually his oh. second in in just over a year. Wow! He beat wow. throat cancer, an entirely um, it was a carcinoma. Yeah, the first was squamal cell carcinoma of the tonsil and the tongue. He oh, wow. went through radiation, chemo, everything. He got through it. He did great. Like we rang the bell. And and it was like three months later that he started complaining about back pain. Oh, and man. we took him in thinking like he had thrown his back out or something. And and it turned out that that he had small cell uh, lung cancer that, that had metastasized to literally everywhere. It was oh, my fine. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So so Dr. Jones, um, that's his radiologist. I cannot prove it, but I am 95% sure that his radiologist personally paid for his home hospice care out of pocket. Wow. Wow. But I can't, I cannot prove Holy. that it was Dr. Jones, but nobody else could have afforded it. Nobody else has that kind of money that could have helped us do what they did. And and all the home hospice people would tell me was that it was an anonymous benefactor. Wow. So he had lots of angels looking out for him. Yeah, yeah, they they really did. Like, and I mean, they they paid for all of it. They sent him a home bed. Like, we had nurses. Like, they sent out the morphine queens. Like it full VIP hospice care. Wow. Right here at home. Like I didn't have to send him anywhere. And and I honestly I don't know who else could have made that happen. Like it had to be him. <laughs> well and that's probably a testament to Edgar as well and his personality and the way he uh connected to people. You know, people wanted to help him. Yeah. Yeah, like he, there, there wasn't anybody, like anybody that I ever met who, who knew him, who didn't love him. Like, I still can't go to town and, 
and even in in COVID with with masks, like as soon as people see me, like they're like, "Hey, where's your uncle? Where's your dad? I haven't seen him in a while." Like, I mean, they don't recognize me for like they they know me as Edgar's person. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. because, like he's unforgettable. <laughs> so you had said. When he was first in the hospital, the name he was trying to spell out was Edgar Villarreal, right? V-I-L-L. I believe so. A-R-E-A-L. I believe that's right, right. Yeah, because he got the E and the D, and then we had the V-I-L, and then he got stuck on the R's. So He, he always went with Villarreal as, as long as he was with me. Now, His family says that, that when he left them... He left with the Izaguera, which is his mother's maiden name. You'll have to um, send me that name through Messenger or something so I can try to do a background on it. I, I know the Villarreal name, which is really weird. It's the first time I've done a background check on, on a name. So it's Edgar Villarreal. And there must have been 50 names pop up. That same name. Right. Right. I know. I found that out too. Like, I thought, like, Villarreal, <laughs> I had never him either you know but but apparently it's it's as predominant at least in the monterey region as as some like jones or smith or something like i had no idea and edgar or edgardo is is pretty common all over mexico so i mean i might as well have picked up john smith (laughs) right exactly (laughs) So, are you remaining in contact with his family at all? Um, I try. I, I reached out to them in, in hopes, like, like I said, like, my thing was, is, is somebody had to miss him. Mm. And I felt, I don't even know how to say it, like, it, it's hard to explain. But after everything, you know, we, we had him cremated. And... And I got to thinking that what if by chance one of these people, like, what if they found me? And and if I had already done something, like, my plan was I was going to turn him into a tree. When I asked him what he wanted me to do, all he said is that he wanted me to put him somewhere that he could come back and work. <laughs> That's all he wanted. He wanted to come back and work. So, so I thought about it for a really long time, and I decided I was going to plant him into a fruit tree so he could come back and feed people. <laughs> nice. Like, like, that was the best I could come up with. And, and then I started worrying that, that if his family somehow found me, and, and what if... What if they wanted to do something? Like, they're... He was really Catholic. <laughs> and and you can't do part of ashes. They can be cremated, but the ashes have to remain together. Uh, so, okay. so I can't keep some of them and bury them as a tree and save them for his family who may come later. And, right. you know, so... So right now, like, right now, he's still sitting here in my room. He's sitting in my closet waiting for me to make up my mind. <laughs> Get him back to work. 
Yeah, so he can get back to work. But when I contacted the family, like, that was one of my first questions is, is like, what do you guys want me to do? Like, it's not easy to send ashes. Like, it's not easy to send ashes anywhere, I found mm -hmm. out, let alone across the border. Right. And besides, and besides, I wasn't going to mail him. I told him that straight up. Like, I'm not going to put him in a box and mail him to Mexico. I can't do it. Right. I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. So, so if you guys want him, I'll wait. But you have to come get him. And Renee, like, like his nephew had had seemed like he was really excited to come and do that. But then the other side of the family, like Edgar's adopted mom side of the family they have decided for whatever reason that they don't want to tell his mom. Like she's, she's still alive. She's in her nineties. Wow. And, and I guess maybe they think maybe she's too old to take the news. I oh. don't know. Like, mm, I personally, like, right. Like personally, I feel like she deserves to know. Yeah. Like, like, I think I would want to know. I think most mothers would want to know. Right. But, Especially at that, at that age. I mean, passing away without having an answer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, doesn't she deserve closure? Mm -hmm. Like, his first right. mom is already, like, she already died without that. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I have... I've asked them several times about it over the last few months. Um, I found, they found me, I believe, in March of this year, I believe. And, and I've contacted them at least once a month ever since. And Renee lets me know, like, he's out of town, he's working, and, and also... Edgar's mother's family is is still dragging their feet on letting her know and he and his mom don't feel like it's their place. I know it's not my place. Mm -hmm. Well, what about uh, the uh, the wife and, and son? Have you gained any ground on finding them? Um, well, there's two wives and sons. Okay. The first, the first wife is uh, Mirna Mira. Um, again, Edgar's sister cousin. She says that somebody else in the family supposedly had contact with them, and and that they were going to let him know about me and find out. And, of course, I didn't hear anything about that any more than I have anything else. Right. Um, as far as finding them myself, the only thing I know now that I didn't know before is that they're definitely not in Houston. Okay. Like, I know they're in Mexico. Well, there you um, go. That's the, next, that's the next challenge. You track them now. Like, I know... <laughs> Here in Mexico, Noah would be in his 40s. He was born in the 70s. Um, Noah Israel Vasquez is his name. 
Um, his wife's name was Mira Vasquez. As far as I know, like after Edgar and her separated, there was pretty much no contact after that. So, like, my understanding is is that Edgar left this man's life, like, sometime when he was five, maybe six years old. Like, he was really, really young when Edgar wasn't in his life anymore. Mm -hmm. So, right. I'm not even sure if he would care, you know? Well, I, and, I don't know. And the, I think it's important to try to find him and let him know, at least. Yeah, I mean, that's again like that's what i thought too you know i mean i feel like he also has has a right to know like whether he chooses to do something with that knowledge is up to him but i think again i would want to know wouldn't you yep yeah but but i mean i have I have his mother's maiden name and i have his name and i have the fact that he's somewhere in mexico probably around the Nuevo Leon slash Monterey area. Like, what in the world you do with that? I don't know. Like, I really don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to find him right now, actually. I don't see a Noah Israel Vasquez. I wonder if maybe he would have went with his... Well, probably not, considering the whole, like, spread of, split up thing. Is he where? I-Z-A-G-U-I-R-R-E. -I -I -R -R -E. Hey, that's pretty good for stroke brain. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Herberto Noah Vasquez. It's 45 years old. Yeah, that, that would be close. That would be really close. So really, why I wanted to talk to you and, and have you on our podcast is just kind of make people think about that when they drive by somebody and they see somebody on the side of the road that needs help. You know, don't, don't just assume they don't want to work or they're lazy that... Maybe they do need help, and, and maybe they have mental uh, issues or whatever it might be. And what you did for Edgar, I think, is is amazing. You know, what, what you've done for him, and in fact, even locating his family, let them know where he was and how he spent the last days of his life. It's pretty incredible as well. I mean, that was, that was my big goal with trying to find them in the first place, was... You know, like I said, like, like I, I know if he had left my life, I would have missed the hell out of him. Mm -hmm. Right. You were fortunate enough to, to be there with him when he, you know, when it was time for him to go. And I yeah, just, yeah, I, I, I was in there with, you know, I was actually in the room with him when, when he passed, like, it's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I, wonder how many people are in your same, tell anybody, like, like uh, if I was going to say anything to anybody about that part anyway, like it wasn't <laughs> that 
it wasn't that he could have been anybody, you know, like, and he really could have been anybody. Like, I could have brought him home and he could have murdered me. Like, my, my husband was an over-the-road trucker. He was a chronic alcoholic. I, we didn't even speak the same language. And I just moved him into my house without a second thought. Yeah. Like, that, that's... <laughs> I just wonder how many people you know, are in the same situation where they have contact with someone that they don't know much about their history or they're very vague about their history. You know, maybe you could inspire other people to uh, help them. I mean, it's worth it. Like if, if that's what, what inspiration it, like it was, it was worth every minute of it. It was the best, the hardest, the most confusing and, and beautiful journey that, that I think that anybody could have ever had a privilege of taking. It's awesome. Like I, I could sit and I could tell you a million stories of, of this man who didn't know me, who came over to help me bury my dog or, or how, when, when he had cancer and, and he was too sick to eat, he decided to take his food across the street to the other homeless guy. <laughs> like at one point when, when I moved him to Waycross, I had, I think six, I think I had six homeless guys on my couch at one point. He just kept bringing them all home. <laughs> it's my buddy. It's okay. Like, 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 he just started bringing them all home. He say, "Mommy, mommy, my my friend is hungry. Maybe one sandwich. Maybe you fix this one sandwich." Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, he uh, certainly they can't say no at that point. Yeah, he sounds like such a character. Oh, he was. He was like. One of my friends told me to to like pick like two or three of my favorite Edgarisms, and and try to, and I honestly like I, I couldn't pick any single one that that was any better than the others, you know, like because every one every single one of them pretty much ended in one of three ways. It was either he saved it out of the garbage he went way way out of his way like made something so much harder on himself so that it would be easier for somebody else mm. or or the third option was always always his harmonica like, like if it didn't work out, if it didn't do anything, he would just reach in his pocket, pull it out, and he would start playing. Like he would playing, play that playing the blues. If it didn't work, if it didn't work out, he started playing the blues. He would, and it it was rarely the blues. He liked rock and roll. He didn't like the blues. It made him. He, he said it was too sad and too slow. He didn't like country okay. music. Good man. It was. <laughs> He didn't like country because it was too whiny. He said, I like rock and roll. <laughs> one of the people, like, when, when I put out those posters, I had one person who reached out and told me that she thought that the person that she met in a parking lot in Milwaukee 
was it Milwaukee or Michigan? But anyway, but she found a guy who in a parking lot, she said she bought him some hamburgers and she gave him a ride and he played Piano Man in the back seat of her car the whole way. <laughs> and the minute she said so, I was like, there's no way it's not him. Like, it has to be. It has to be him. That's his song. <laughs> wow. Like, like, that was his song. He would tell everybody. He said that was the song that him and his first wife got married to. So he made his rounds around uh, the U.S., I guess, huh? And Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he worked pretty much all the migrant farming. Like, like I know he did, he did uh, like the melons and the cantaloupes in florida here in georgia he did almonds out in california um he loved working with horses he knew everything everything about horses he also knew a lot about making weapons one day i'll figure out where that came from i haven't found that out yet but i want to i want to know i want to know who taught him to make weapons what kind of weapons? I also want to talk. I also want to know who taught him to be an Indian because it wasn't his family. My whole time with him, I always thought that his mother was Kickapoo. I found out, like, no, no, like his his biological mom was blue eyed. Like, you can't get much less. <laughs> but he always said he would always tell people, he said, "Me Indian." Like he was proud of his Indian. Wow. But apparently, like according to his family, like like that that doesn't come from him. He picked that up somewhere else. <laughs> well, Julie, we really appreciate you talking to us tonight and sharing Edgar's story with us. Well, I really, really appreciate you listening. I'm sorry if I'm a little rambly. Oh no no oh no! You're doing great. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Like I I hope that somebody like maybe they'll just think about it, you guys. Like they're people. <laughs> they may not look like it sometimes, like but but I swear they're all people and right. wherever they come from. Like I told everybody for years, like I don't know who he was. Like, I have no idea. Even now, I still don't know who he was. But I know who he is. Mm -hmm. And and who he is was one of the best things that I've ever had the privilege of knowing. And and a lot of times, like, like, it took me years to find that. You know, there was a lot of alcohol hiding the, the Edgar in there. <laughs> right. There was a lot of alcohol hiding the Edgar in there. But but even with all the alcohol, he was still, like, he was just so sweet and so humble and funny. And if you take a minute, like, he's not the only homeless guy I've ever stopped, you know, and talked to. He's the only one I've ever adopted. <laughs> <laughs> but But every single one of them have a story. Yeah. Every single solitary one of them have a story. And almost everyone is willing to tell it if you ask them. Absolutely. I think yeah. the, uh, the world could use a little more humanity. So we appreciate you communicating that message. Thank you. 
if anybody if anybody recognizes anything that I've talked about, like I said, immigrant farmers, like the whole thing, like he was a really, really charismatic guy. He probably spoke way better English in the 80s and the 90s than he did now. Um, he was floating around with a, uh, a white lady for a little while, but mostly the harmonica, the harmonica thing and, and the, char the charisma. Edgar, Edgardo, Indio. Um, those are pretty much the three big names that seem to have stuck throughout the whole decades. So if anybody recognizes anything and thinks that maybe they think that maybe it might have been him, let me know. Let me know. I would love to put together, like, I would love to know what happened between 89 and 2009 when I found him. Yeah. Still some stories left for Edgar, I guess, huh? <laughs> oh, so many. There's so many. Like, I mean, I want to know what was this place that's not a prison. Who, who is the white lady? Who is the lady? And was she from Denmark? Because where in the world did he meet a woman from Denmark? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but I really appreciate it, you guys. Thank yeah, you thank so you, much. Julie. Yeah, thank you very I much. I hope you have a good night. Thank you for joining us tonight. Keep in mind... That homeless person you see on the road, they also have families. Maybe you can be a hero in someone's life, like Julie Berry is. If you know something, say something. And as always, thanks for tuning in. The search for five-year-old Taylor, Taylor Williams led investigators to Alabama this week. So we have some breaking news from Florida. An arrest has been made. Tonight, after years of agony, a glimmer of hope for the family. Investigators spent hours searching through this house off Pennsylvania Avenue. What could be a major development in the search for missing Alabama teenager. Tonight, a stunning twist in the search for Taylor. Somebody out there knows something. They want to lay him to rest their way, not by somebody else's way.